Welcome to the Marriage Steps podcast where developing a long-lasting, happy relationship is the status symbol to achieve. And following my six marriage steps is a path to help get you there. I'm your host, Dr. Wyatt Fisher, a licensed psychologist specializing in marriage counseling. The Marriage Steps podcast is listener supported, so to help keep it on the air so couples worldwide can receive hope for their relationship, please consider becoming a monthly supporter by going to patreon.com forward slash marriage steps. Also, be sure to call my new number, 720-307-7347, and leave your marriage question, and I'll be happy to respond to it on the next Marriage Steps podcast. Okay, so today we have something special. We have a a guest with us on the Marriage Steps podcast. It's Monica Tanner. Welcome, Monica. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, so Monica specializes in marriage and in relationships, her website is on the brighter side of marriage.com. Her podcast is on the brighter side. And I've invited her to be a part of the Marriage Steps podcast today so we can pick her brain on some nuggets of truth and wisdom so that you can receive some encouragement on how to have a better relationship. So, Monica, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself if you could and what brings you to the podcasting world. Awesome. Well, like you said, I do have my own podcast. So podcasting, I think, is a fantastic medium of getting information out to the public. I love it because as a very busy mom of four kids, you can be making dinner, folding laundry, working out, driving around and, you know, being uplifted by podcast content. So love, love, love podcasting. Um, I am married to a super hunky man. We've been married for about 20 years. Like I said, we have four kids. And um, in my free time, I love to run and read anything about relationships, obviously. And um, uh, lately, we've been, my husband and I have been watching funny memes and things on the internet to unwind before bed. And that's about me in a nutshell. (laughs) Okay. Well, that's encouraging to hear you describe your husband as super hunky. I'm sure a lot of us husbands would love for our wives to describe us similarly. (laughs) Oh yes. Well, I mean, you know, (laughs) yeah, good, good for him. I'm sure that makes him feel good. Okay. So we have four questions from Monica today. And here's the first one. Uh, So Monica, in your opinion, what would you say are the biggest stressors facing couples right now and why? Oh gosh, this is so interesting because what is not stressing out couples right now? I feel like 2020 has been the ultimate test of marriages, really. I mean, you've got, you know, major stressors in the world, starting with um, financial stressors that come from loss of income and, you know, working differently. You've got all kinds of stressors that come from uh, parents working from home, kids schooling from home and the chaos that all of that creates. Um, You've got a lot of role reversals and role changes happening right now in the world. Uh, Things are starting to look different for businesses, for families, for marriages. And so a lot of that change and uncertainty and anxiety, I think, is causing a lot of stress on families. Absolutely. Yeah. So this whole pandemic, I mean, marriage is hard enough as it is. And then you throw a pandemic on top of it and sparks start to fly. Not to mention that it's 
slightly illogical in a lot of ways. So it's not only that, you know, there is some, some sort of crisis in the world, but, you know, you've got all different types of opinions on the crisis and people feel very helpless to, um, you, you know, we all feel sort of helpless to make things go back to normal. It's kind of like we've reached the point of figuring out the new normal. Mm-hmm. And so that's, you know, that's a lot of change. It's a lot of quick um, pivoting and, and, and adapting and that's stressful for people. Absolutely. Yeah. And one thing I've mentioned in some of my episodes is how, you know, if there were already some cracks in the foundation of the relationship, the stress is just going to compound those cracks and reveal those cracks. So from that vantage point though, the pandemic has provided opportunity to look at where are our cracks and where are we, you know, struggling because now we can't hide them anymore through excessive traveling or busyness or whatever else. Now we have to kind of look at this stuff. And so it has provided opportunity for a lot of couples if you can look at it that way. Absolutely. That's a fantastic perspective. But you mentioned another thing, uh, a lot of escapes that people normally have, sports and travel yeah. and, um, you know, those types of things have also been taken away. <laughs> right, right. So the second question for you, Monica, is what are the top things that couples should do that can help the relationship? What would be some of your top recommendations? Well, that is a great question. I think communication is key. Uh, I think that getting help is key. I think that um, really uh, one of my tools that I teach a lot is called don't jump in the pool. And so I think when you have an environment like this, where there's elevated anxiety, a lot of uncertainty, you have uh, a lot of emotions happening, especially because there's lots of people in close quarters and it's very, um, it's very, it's easy to take on the emotions of the people around you, which is what I call jumping in the pool. And other people call that mirroring emotions. So, you know, if you have a child or a spouse that is, you know, emotional, stressed out, um, taking things out in, in a way that is, you know, difficult, um, it's very easy for you to mirror their emotions or um, take on whatever it is that they are anxious, stressed about. And so one of the tools I like to talk about a lot is not jumping in the pool. So it's okay. You can still be a good spouse if you don't get frustrated or anxious or mirror your spouse's emotions. So if they're having a hard day at work or if they're upset about something, you know, if a toddler is having a tantrum on the floor, you're not going to get down and tantrum with them. That seems obvious. But if your spouse comes in and is all riled up and anxious about something, it's really easy to respond in the same manner that they are coming at you, right? We, we tend to react. And so um, I like to teach people to take a couple of breaths and to think about, you know, not mirroring that, not jumping in the pool and not, um, not reacting in a way that that's going to cause more conflict, but just to have a little grace, understand that everybody's emotionally 
you know, stressed and, and there are heightened emotions and people are high triggered and volatile. And just to see that and to not respond in the same manner. Yeah, that's, that's huge, right? Because emotion begets emotion and we kind of feed off each other. And but it's such a good reminder that no matter how my partner is behaving, it's still my choice, how I respond. hundred percent. It's very easy to feel like, well, I respond that way because you did a, B and C. But actually, it was still my choice to respond like that, even if I'm feeling tempted to respond that way or influenced or encouraged to because of how you're behaving. It's still my choice at the end of the day, how I choose to respond back. A hundred percent. Also, it's important to remember, too, that, um, you know, your, your partner can be stressed and anxious about the economy or the weather. <laughs> we, we laugh about the weather because right now we've got the fires and all the smoke happening. My husband coaches high school sports, right? So if the, if the air quality is bad then their games get canceled, right? So that's not something that I necessarily get pulled into, right? I mean, that doesn't mess with my world if the soccer game gets canceled or something like that. But that's a very easy instance where we can jump in the pool. If our spouse is very stressed about the economy or very stressed about the air quality or something like that, that doesn't necessarily mean that I have to be stressed about it as well. I can still be a good understanding empathetic partner without getting stressed about the same types of things that my spouse is stressed about. Sure. Sure. Or my kids. Yeah. Yeah. So it's part of differentiation, right? We can have two separate experiences, but still be supportive of each other. Yes. That's yeah. differentiation. That's a good word. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the other question, the next question is, is kind of the opposite. So that last question was what should couples do, right? To have good relationships. The next question I'm curious with your opinion on is what should couples not do? And like, what are the, the toxic traps that we can fall into, especially under the circumstances from your view? Yeah. Well, number one is going to be not to jump in the pool. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think number two, I would say is not to make any big decisions while emotions are running high. So I, I always go back to a time when um, I was experiencing a lot of postpartum depression and I felt like, um, you know, after the birth of my third child, that really big, important decisions needed to be made. Like we needed to um, move to a different house or maybe we needed to separate or, you know, there was like, like I was feeling a certain way and for some reason, I was like grasping at things to try and fix the situation, right? And my husband, who was um, very calm and collected in that situation, is like, we don't make big life decisions when we're feeling this way, right? And so, of course, that saved a lot of pain and heartache for, for my family and my children and all of those things. So I think it's really important when we're in a crisis like this, sort of a pandemic situation, and there's a lot of things that are in flux that we try not to make really big life decisions when we're triggered and highly emotional. I think it's really important to um, process those emotions and to, even though I feel like, like, like the leaders or the decision makers aren't being super logical with things, I think it's really important for us as couples and as families to try and be as logical as humanly possible before making big life decisions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great one. 
And that's definitely heightened, obviously, with the pandemic. And even without the pandemic, you know, when one or both partners are flooded, where the heart rate's up and they're in fight or flight, um, you know, that's when the blood flow goes to the core and you can't think straight. And so that's kind of what you're referring to. It sounds like is that is the worst time to start making decisions. Absolutely. A hundred percent. I think pro- learning to process your emotions is very, very, very important. And then figuring out, you know, really what you want and really what needs to happen from a calm, logical place is going to be like the most important thing that we can carry into, you know, how we're making decisions for ourselves and our families. Yeah. Yeah. What would you recommend to people to help them deflood to get to that calm place where they can make better decisions? Uh, That's a great question. I think meditation is really, really important. Whatever that looks like for you, prayer and meditation, kind of calling on sort of a higher source, like understanding that you're part of a bigger, um, something bigger than yourself. I think that's really important. So whatever that looks like for you, whether it's God or the universe, um, to try and connect there to a higher power and just really, um, uh, really just get still and quiet um, and understand. Another thing I think is really important um, to being able to process emotions is to separate facts from thoughts. I think when we act from our thoughts, then we tend to make decisions that we regret later. But when we take into account the facts and then we realize that all of our thoughts about the facts are optional and not necessarily true, then we can make more logical decisions. So when we're flooded and we're, when we're anxious, then we start to think that our thoughts are actually facts when they're in fact not facts. <laughs> That's a lot of tongue twisty words, but I like to recommend that my, that my students do um, what's called a, a, a download, a thought download or a brain dump. And so whenever the situation is, I have them just write out on paper for three to five minutes, just everything that they're thinking, unedited, not judging themselves, and just write down everything about the situation. Then I have them give that a headline. So like, what would this read? And then I have them ask two questions. Are, is, is the headline that I wrote and the things that are down on the paper, is that the story I'm proud of? Like, is that the story I want to be a part of? And two is, does this story make me show up in my marriage and in my life the way I want to, the way I'm proud of? Um, And then I have them go through a process where they separate facts from thoughts. And then I show them how to take the thoughts because all thoughts are optional and rewrite the story to something that makes them feel better and show up better And that's typically when you can start making decisions is when you understand the difference between the facts of any circumstance and your thoughts about those facts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a big, a big process for a lot of people, I think, is teasing that apart because here's the event, right? That'd be like the fact. Then here's my reaction to that event. And that, that's what's colored by my interpretation, my my history, my everything, you know, of what makes me is going to influence how I'm reacting to that event. And some of those things may be accurate, some of those things may be off. And so that's where all the dissecting comes in. Yeah, super important process. And once you learn to do that, you can effectively process emotions in a very, very 
um, effective way. Yeah. And there's a good resource for uh, everyone who's listening right now um, that can facilitate this that I've used with myself and I've used with clients before. And it's called Mind Over Mood. Mind Over Mood. And it'll teach you a tool called the Seven Calm Technique. And it goes through, okay, here's the event. What did you feel during the event? What were the automatic thoughts in response to the event? And then what's the evidence for um, some of those thoughts and what were the evidence against? And then you create a balanced thought and then you re-rank your feelings. But basically it's just a tool to facilitate what Monica is referring to where it helps you tease apart the events, like the truth from the, the mistruths, um, the facts from the fiction. So yeah. it's, a really, it's a great resource for that. Perfect. Um, good. Okay. So my last question, Monica, is so once couples start making some progress and they start getting their footing under them a little bit, um, what are some of the top recommendations from you on how to sustain the gains? What would you recommend for that? Sustain the gains. I like how you, how you formulated that question, how to sustain the gains. I think sustaining the gains has a lot to do with communication I think it has a lot to do with understanding um, intimacy, um, being able to connect and communicate in a way that uh, solidifies your teamwork um, to be able to uh, navigate through turbulent times. So um, that's a lot what I teach in training in the art of sexpionage. That is what sexpionage is. It's it's a skill set and strategies that help you um, communicate and connect um, so that uh, so so that you um, it's a way to communicate and, and connect in a way that helps you navigate any type of of problem right so it's a set of skills that you can draw upon when you you hit any type of challenge, which COVID is replete with challenges, right? And so you've got these different situations that you find yourself in. It helps you kind of scan the situation and take in all the stimulus and um, draw upon the connection that you have with your spouse and know exactly what skill sets and strategies to use in any given circumstance. Okay. So what would be one example of a strategy when it comes to intimacy to sustain, to get gains and sustain gains when it comes to sexual intimacy? I'll say sexual intimacy, even though that can also be emotional intimacy when we use the word intimacy, but you brought up uh, this training that you do, sex espionage. Mm -hmm. uh, so what would be one strategy in the bedroom to okay. achieve gains and sustain gains? Um, okay. So one of my favorite strategies to teach in the bedroom is understanding how to relieve stress for your partner. So I'll leave you with a very solid tool that you can use. Um, and that I, I like to call this the three minute game. So, um, actually, no, the three minute game is different. I'll teach you both of them. Actually, I'll leave you with two very solid ways to explore intimacy with your partner and how it can help you in very stressful times. The first one um, is, is the silent game, right? So you are going to, and let's just use three minutes. You're going to use, you're going to spend three minutes and you're going to teach your spouse how to comfort you without using any words. So let's say you're feeling stressed 
or anxious, or you had a rough day, you are going to teach your spouse how to give you comfort without using any words. So if that means a back rub or a foot rub or um, more sexual intimacy, a good makeout session, whatever it is that helps calm you and make you feel good when you're not feeling good is what you're going to teach your spouse how to do. No words. And then the second game that I love is called the three minute game, which it helps your spouse learn how to touch you. So you're going to instruct your spouse how to touch you for three minutes in a way that feels good. And you're going to, in both games, in both instances, you're going to switch and you just keep doing that until you've learned a lot about each other. And this is something that changes over time. So it's a game you can play over and over and over again, and it can lead to some thing or it, it doesn't have to. So there's no pressure, no stress. It's just a way to teach each other how to soothe um, and to teach each other how to touch. Um, and so those are two great little tools that I like to teach in my program that help um, foster both emotional and sexual intimacy um, together. So interesting. Yeah. So that definitely sounds like an interesting focus in the bedroom is to train your partner and how you want to be comforted without using words. Cause that would, yeah, I need really to come cool. up with a good name for that game. Like, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> yeah. I it all the time and I can't think of what I call it. Actually. Yeah. I need some type of catchy phrase for that. Like, I don't know what, what we'll to, yeah, something. Cause that's, that's really what push people out of their comfort zone probably. Cause some people can be so over dependent on words. Mm-hmm. And so to take the, the verbal element out and just have it be touch oriented, very kinesthetic. Um, that would be very interesting. That's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. So Monica, what's, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you or to learn more about your resources? Yeah. Like you said, my website is www.onthebrightersideofmarriage.com. That's where you can find all of my resources. I do challenges. There's lots of free resources on there. There's some paid resources on there. My podcast is also listed um, from that page. So um, you can get a hold of me there and um, dive into my free or paid content. Okay. Thank you, Monica. Thanks again for being a part of the Marriage Steps podcast. I appreciate it. You bet. Thank you for listening to the Marriage Steps podcast. If you enjoyed the episode today, please be sure to scroll down and click the five stars. And for more marriage resources, be sure to go to my website, drwyattfisher.com. And remember, your marriage is alive. So if you care for it and nurture it, it will grow. But if you deprive it and neglect it, it will start to wilt and die. The choice is up to you. Take care.